0: John, chapter one, verse thirty-five. The next day, again, John was standing with his two, with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, "Behold, the Lamb of God." The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus heard and saw them following, and said to them, "What are you seeking?" And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour, about four o'clock in the afternoon. Verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go into Galilee and found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, behold, you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Spirit, we come into your inspired word once again this Lord's Day. We ask that you take your inspired word, your perfect word, you bring it down into our hearts, shape our minds, shape our our lives by it. Help us to to see where we need to come in alignment with you, Jesus. I pray that you use this passage to fortify us and make make us stronger in our commitment to you, Jesus. Amen. Well, this is the section here where we see Disciples beginning to follow Jesus. He's calling them and they're beginning to follow. Now, initially, here in this section, it's not that they have the full commitment that they would soon, soon after, but here there's the following aspect, following Jesus, coming to see Jesus. So we see these disciples, and some things stand out in the passage, of course, and we'll. Address that, uh, of course, but we we have to think of our set to ourselves. What does it mean to be a disciple? And that's what the Apostle John is going to help us with through this entire gospel. Kind of like Luke was helping us when we went through the Gospel of Luke. What does it mean to be a disciple? Of Jesus Christ and you will remember that word disciple of course means a learner technically it means a learner but in the, the scriptures really it means more than merely a, a learner it means a follower it means an imitator so what does it mean to be an imitator of Jesus Christ that's what we're beginning to see here and an imitator a, a disciple Of any teacher, but particularly here we're talking about Jesus Christ, a disciple adopts the worldview of their their rabbi, their teacher. And adopting that worldview, adopting that vision of the world has meaning for life, meaning for daily life. It's not merely capturing content, it does include that. There is the commitment to content. Following Jesus without content It's not really following Jesus. That's just going off of emotion. But merely having the content without the the follow through in the lifestyle, that's not what's intended either as far as a disciple. It's the content that comes into our lives in, in the message of Jesus. Most importantly, the person of Jesus, that content coming into our life shapes and directs our life. These disciples are being called to investigate and to see who this Jesus is. The next day, in verse 35, in verse 43, the next day. You'll see that each one of these that are called here, these these that are coming to follow Jesus are responding to a different message. And the first ones, Andrew and the silent disciple the one that's not named, which it, the consensus is, has been for centuries, the consensus is it is the Apostle John. The Apostle John doesn't mention himself anywhere in his gospel. He, he's, he's wanting to point to others, other directions, other directions. But here we have two disciples, the Andrew and the Apostle John, then they're, they're investigating, they're inquiring about who this Jesus is. And so, we think about discipleship and and being a disciple and what that means. One of the things that stands out here through all of the Scriptures, but in the Gospel of John, is this idea of revelation and response. God reveals Himself. God reveals Himself in Jesus Christ and that demands a response. It's very fundamental in the scriptures. Revelation, God revealing, requiring a response. To ignore, throw up our hands, walk away, prioritize other things, that is a response. To want to go and to be with Jesus, to be a learner, to be a follower, to be an imitator of Jesus, that is a response. But it requires a response, one way or the other. One thing about Jesus Christ, He, he doesn't allow anyone to have no response. <laughs> he, he, there's God's revealing Himself through Jesus, through the message of Jesus, through the person of Jesus, and that requires a response. Now, all kinds of folks are invited all kinds of people are invited to come into relationship with Jesus and we see that here at the beginning in a nugget form in this this section we're beginning to see that now there's John the Baptist and he has his disciples there with him and two of them are Andrew and the Apostle John which we know is the Apostle John he wasn't the Apostle then he's John so Andrew and, and John and John the Baptist is saying, there he is. Behold, pay attention. Behold the Lamb of God. Now John has already said, and we already looked at this, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But here he says on the next day, behold the Lamb of God. Andrew and John respond to that witness.
1: Revelation
0: response. We'll see that that Andrew goes and he he, he sells, calls Simon. Simon, we we've, we found the one that we we've, we've been looking for. We 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 found the we found the Messiah, which means Christ. We found the Messiah. Revelation. Simon responds. There are different kinds of people. Andrew's a different kind of person than John. John wants to stay in the background. He doesn't say, "Hey, I'm writing this." I, pay attention to me. He wants to stay in the background. Now, Peter responds, and he's a different kind of person too. He's he's out there, you know. He's forceful. He's willing to take chances. He's he's, he's got this leadership potential in him. He's, He's different than John is, which is a little more quiet. And then we see Philip. And that's the next day. The next day Jesus decided to go into Galilee, verse 43. He, Jesus, found Philip. And Philip follows. Revelation response. He's a different kind of person. We don't know much about Philip. The Scriptures don't tell us much about Philip. He he may have been kind of a quiet individual because Jesus found him. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Anyone who wants true revelation from God, anyone who wants true relationship with God, but Jesus will find you. God will find you. And then Philip goes and, and he gives a testimony to Nathaniel. Nathaniel. Nathaniel is a skeptic. Any of those around today? He's a skeptic. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? revelation response Philip says to him we have found him of whom Moses and the the prophets have been pointing to out of Nazareth he's a skeptic but skeptics are called upon for a response as well, so as we see the pictures of the disciples being called, there's different, different personalities. Revelation, re- response. Revelation, response. So, this idea of discipleship following Jesus has two elements that we can grasp hold of here rather quickly. And one is a personal witness... That identifies who Jesus is. Behold, the Lamb of God. We found the Messiah, the one that the the, the Moses and the prophets testify to, identifying Jesus. I want you to be able to identify. Jesus, not identify your church, not identify your pastor, not identify your denomination, identify Jesus. Who is it that you follow? All of these witnesses can identify something about Jesus. Now that does not mean our testimonies are not important, they are very important. Our testimony. Paul shares his testimony in the book of Acts. It's very important to share testimony. How did we come to meet Jesus? What does Jesus mean to our life? But there has to be content. Who is this one that you're committing your life to? Well, I don't know. My parents told me I ought to do that. That's not very persuasive. I don't know. The, the guy on TV is just so sweet and personable. I, that won't do it. There's some content, a personal witness that identifies who Jesus is. And then these are hearts. Notice the hearts. The, the hearts that are they're made ready. They're sovereignly made ready. They're sovereignly made ready by God to receive the person of Jesus. God has worked in those hearts. When John the Baptist is there, which is very interesting to, to think about, John, is, is that he didn't try to cling and hold on to his disciples. No, don't go over to that one. Stay with me. We're trying to build something here. No, he's. He behold, Lamb of God. What? Those hearts had been made ready. They'd already, Andrew and John and whoever else were around, John the Baptist had already come under conviction of their own sin. They'd heard John preach. <laughs> and they'd adopted his message for themselves in their own hearts So they wouldn't have been with him as, as disciples of his. But those hearts had been made ready. Why? Even when Andrew goes to Simon, he, he, Simon Okay, he found a Messiah. Somehow, Simon didn't say, ah, oh, you're crazy, get out of here. Get out get out of my face. His heart's been prepared. He wants to he wants to hear. It. He wants to see. He wants Philip. Nathaniel. God's working in these hearts. Working powerfully in the hearts. And so discipleship involves that, that identification of who Jesus is and also that readiness in our hearts. So the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus he walked by. Behold, the Lamb of God. The disciples heard Him say this and they followed. They're following out of curiosity at this point. They're going to be convinced because they spend time with Jesus and whatever Jesus said to them, we don't know, but whatever He said to them really convinced them because Andrew goes and tells Simon, yeah, we, we found, found the Messiah. So this genuine discipleship begins with a some kind of personal investigation into who Jesus is and a willingness to to count the costs. There's a personal investigation. We, we, we see that in the, the language of come and you will see, come and see, come, come and investigate, come and see yourself, a personal investigation. not not, these, these, these disciples aren't merely taking someone else's word for it, they're investigating for themselves. They they have some work to do. They're not going to commit their life to the Messiah. If you want to be who is this? Who is this one that the prophets have been pointing to? I'm going to investigate that. And as they're investigating, they're counting the costs. In fact, Jesus speaks about that in Luke chapter 14. But counting the cost on what, what does this mean? I'm going to, I'm being called to follow. Jesus. Being pointed towards Jesus. He's the one. He's he's the one that's king of the world. King of the universe. He's the creator of the universe. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. He's the one that oh oh, okay I I, I, I need to do some investigation. Now, Now what's the deal here? What am I getting into? You've heard me emphasize this some in the past. This is not a new theme around here. Do we give people the opportunity, do we articulate to them, evaluate what you're getting into, lest you be a false believer, a false professor, a a, a, a hypocrite in what you're saying, intentional or unintentional, that you not truly understand, have not truly identified who Jesus is. Take some time and count the costs. Because if if you're thinking, prospective believer, if you're thinking that you can come to Jesus Christ and walk with Jesus Christ, walk out of the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light, and it not cost you anything, you do not understand, you have not identified, who the Messiah is. You have not identified who Jesus Christ is. You do not understand the essential Christian faith. They're investigating, they're counting the cost and it costs each of them quite a lot as we have thought in the past and we'll continue to think about because it's so lost today. Nobody wants to say anything like that. might offend somebody. might push people away. Well, that might hurt attendance. That might We might not get enough clicks. We might not have enough viewership because we're going to tell people that it costs them something. They're going to have to sacrifice something. They're going to have to lay down their life for something. They're going to be ridiculed like Jesus has been ridiculed. They're not going to want to be what, around you. Yeah, that's what it means to follow Jesus. Well, we don't want to do any of that. Gonna to have to be some sacrificing involved. Remember carrying that cross. Gonna to have to be some sacrifice. Now, now, if you're gonna follow Jesus, Peter, Simon, Nathaniel, whatever Jesus said to them, but count the costs. Count the costs. It's interesting. It says that in verse 44. Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Now here's the picture. Bethsaida is a fishing village. The word means house of fish, northeast of the Sea of Galilee. They're from the same village. That's the place near to where Jesus fed the 5,000. the the place where the blind man had sight that restored was restored. But it's also the place that Jesus pronounced judgment upon because they would not receive his message. Can you imagine? That's the attitude of Bethsaida. It's a small village. Probably no more than 2,000 people. People know each other in that context, in that environment. And Philip and Andrew and Peter are from that village, they're following this man whose message who's been rejected to the point that Jesus is pronouncing judgment on them. Yeah, it cost them something because the community thinks they're weird. They they think that this is ridiculous. Not only are we going to reject your Messiah, we're going to reject you. That is why disciples need to understand it's going to cost something to follow Jesus but but why why the investigation I'm giving you an example of that but why because of the radical commitment that is required to follow Jesus Christ. Why the investigation? Why the taking of time with Jesus? Trying to understand because of the radical commitment that is required. When people come to understand that, when they say, yeah, this is going to take a radical commitment, and they go ahead and step in anyway, well, God surely prepared that hard. <laughs> That's not natural human beings. They're not going anywhere. They're not going to be losing their salvation as if that could really happen. They've stepped into the kingdom of true salvation. They've counted the cost. They've been drawn by God. Their heart has been changed. They've been redeemed. They're not going anywhere. They're committed. Now, Jesus asked these disciples, there in, in verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? That's the heart penetrating question of Jesus Christ. Notice he didn't say who. What are you seeking? He doesn't answer the question for them. He doesn't lead them along, so they'll get they'll they'll give an answer that'll meet the, the approval of Jesus. He's asking a heart penetrating question. What are you seeking? And that's what He's asking you today. He's asking you. What are you seeking? Comfort? No, I mean in your life, what do you want? Listen to the question that Jesus asks. What are you Seeking, what do you want from Jesus? You say you want to follow Jesus. What do you want? Some might say, well, I want to be accepted by my friends, by that group of people over there. I want to be included in that group. Some might say, well, I want comfort. Well, in America for the last hundred years, cultural Christianity, it's been widely accepted that yet to be a Christian is okay. Not this kind of Christianity we're talking about, but to be a cultural Christian, that's widely accepted. We're seeing the earthquake. <laughs> we're seeing the seismic shift now. What do you want from Jesus? Want a good marriage? What are you, not who, What are you seeking? And of course, as we go along in the Gospel of John, we could follow up that question is, does Jesus, will Jesus, provide what you're seeking? You may be coming to Jesus for the wrong reasons. To be accepted in Bethsaida. That would be the wrong reason. What are you seeking? Now, that's a good question for us, for believers. Every day. We rise up. Your daily walk with Jesus Christ. Jesus asking you, just imagine. In the morning, when I rise, give me Jesus. Okay? That's a really great song. You knew, Matt, Jesus is there, foot of your bed. What do you want from me today? That would be a great question for disciples to ask. Imagining Jesus asking, you personally? What do you want from me today? What are you seeking today? Heart-penetrating question he asks these disciples. Well, they, it might have caught them off guard because they say, Rabbi, a, a sign of respect, can can we come stay with you? They, they say, uh, where are you staying? Kind of an odd kind of an answer to that question. They want to spend some time with Jesus. They want to, want to go and spend some time. That's what they're saying. Rabbis, give me respect. I want to spend some time with you. Can can we we do that? He says, come and you will see. Come and you will see. Kind of interesting how following eyes are opened when those who are inquiring take a step towards Jesus. As they're moving in the other direction from Jesus, more and more, greater and greater blindness sets in. What starts as a fog and what's fuzzy becomes raw blindness. But those who move towards Jesus find their eyes being, being open. Come and you will see. John loves that kind of imagery. Darkness, light, blindness, sight. Come and you will will see. So, these dis- disciples have a desire and they do make that commitment to be with Jesus and to learn from Jesus. They're, they're having that commitment. They're, they're asking, where, where, where are you staying? Where are you staying? It's almost as like, now Jesus didn't say this, but it's almost like for us today, Where are you, Jesus? Well, come to the Scriptures. Spend some time. And you will see. Come to the the Word of God. The written Word of God. And you will see the living Word of God. Just read to try to get the narrative. Try to know a person. Come and see. So they're making that. They have that desire. and They're making a commitment. So each prospective disciple must is personally responsible to come and to see for themselves. There ain't going to be any ancestral heritage. There's not going to be any religious grouping that allows access into. God's kingdom, it's a coming and seeing that's involved here. Coming to Jesus to see for themselves. So it's really important as these disciples then then give their witness, give their uh, testimony to Jesus, they're not required to convince. Uh, When Philip goes to Nathanael, he's a skeptic, remember, If Philip goes to Nathaniel, for example, he says, uh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, Philip's response is, come and see. That's always the response for skeptic. Those those who are just dug in in their unbelief will come genuinely. Again, where are you staying, Rabbi? Genuinely coming to, to investigate, do some personal investigation. Come and see. Jesus will do the convincing, God will do the convincing. In those hearts that are prepared and have come and see Jesus, God will do the convincing. They're not charged with convincing someone who this Jesus is. We all are called to bring people into contact. Isn't that what what Andrew does to his brother Simon? He brings Simon into contact with Jesus. And, and that's, that's what, what we see with Philip bringing Nathanael into contact with Jesus. John the Baptist brings Andrew and, and John. Behold, the Lamb, the Lamb of God. He brings them into to contact. And then they go and investigate. They see for themselves. It's interesting how, how personable this is. That's always been the best way of witnessing to Jesus is personable. It's not that, you know, mountainside speeches are not important or stadium addresses in our time are, are not important and that God wouldn't use those, but by far, by far, From the very beginnings of Christianity, it's one person to another. One person to another. You ought to see. You ought ought to see. Investigate for yourself. Personal witness. But we're not called to convince. The Holy Spirit will do the convincing, Jesus will do the convincing. The Spirit of Jesus. So he found his brother uh, Simon. Verse 41, and he says, We have found. So obviously, their minds, Andrew and John's mind, has been opened. And then Cephas comes, Peter comes to Jesus, and Jesus sees Simon. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon. And that would have been a real shock to this man. He calls him out, You're Simon. Do I know you? How do, you? how do I know you? Or maybe they, maybe they would have been circulating at the time. We don't, we don't know that. But Jesus is expressing something very powerful, same as he did with Nathanael. We'll look at that in, in a moment. This omniscience, supernatural knowledge. You are Simon, son of John. In that time, it was very common to identify a person with their hometown. Jesus of Nazareth. You're, 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 and Joseph being the father that everyone knew that Jesus would have had Joseph being identified as his father here, of course Jesus says heavenly father. But here you're Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas. Which name It's Peter. That's so powerful. I love that. Name changes in Scripture, well, in the world, really, name changes indicate authority. When a name is changed, it's a pronouncement of authority. You shall be Cephas. Cephas means Peter, some of you will remember that it means rock. But really in our time, it, it was really more of a nickname than a, a proper name. In our time, it would be like, like saying, well, you're Simon, son of John. You, you will be called Rocky. More, more of a nickname. There's some affection in that. But as I say, there's some authority authority brought into it. It certainly does mean rock, but like I said, it is, there's that, that kind of a nickname aspect to it. But he changes the name. Now you know, those of you who have studied the Scriptures, and you've studied Peter, and you know Peter's life. And if you haven't done that, I invite you to do that. You remember some of the character qualities of, of Peter and how he was bold, and you know he stepped out of the boat and all this, time. and he even he even kind of pushed back on Jesus. Jesus would do some teaching, and then here would come Simon. Simon comes along, and says, "Now wait a minute, Lord, have you thought about this? Wait, have you?" <laughs> and Jesus would say, "Simon, Simon, you remember, Simon, Simon." Well, for John, when that. Word is you, Simon, Simon. That's, that's this man's natural name. His is human, unredeemed, just a human being. It's His name. So when Jesus says, Simon, Simon, it's like saying, hey, you're acting in your, your pre-Christ, like, like your pre-Christ days. You're not acting like who you could be I have named you Cephas. I have named, which means Peter, Rocky. This is who you could be. This is who in fact you will be with me at the center of your life. Jesus sees the potentiality of that man. He comes, he sees Simon, he sees you. He sees who you really are. He doesn't deny who you really are. We we can't get away with denying who we really are. The Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ, sees who we are. Every imperfection in our life, he sees that. He acknowledges that. He gives you respect. That's who you are. But he emphasizes who you could become and who you will become with Jesus at the center of your life. Look at where where Peter went in his life. We're still talking about him. We're talking about any other fishermen from Bethsaida 2000 years ago. A few others. Andrew. A few others. Not many. Who he could become with Jesus at the center of his life. Ultimately Peter will become someone he never dreamed possible, and that's true for you. You don't have any idea where Jesus Christ is taking you. If you put Jesus at the center of your life, at the center of your marriage, at the center of your work. No, you don't get to discount Jesus for eight hours during the day while you compromise in your workplace. With Jesus first, Well, he sees your potential. He he sees where he's taking you. And he names this man, so for all of us to reflect on and think about in our life, he names Peter, specifically gives him this particular name because he has a particular task Among all of these wonderful apostles and all of the other disciples that are going to come, he has a particular role and a responsibility. Jesus sees what Jesus will make of him. Jesus sees what Jesus will make of you. What are you seeking today? Wow, what must have been rushing through the mind of Simon? Unbelievable. Well, we have that very odd, seems to me odd, of course it's perfect because it's the inspired Word of God. Verse 50, Jesus answered him, answered Nathanael, the skeptic Nathanael, because I say to you, meaning Nathanael, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open. The angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. There's an interesting feature here in your study Bibles. In verse 51, you probably have a little note there. And if you look at the note, it says that the U, you, Y-O-U, the U that is referenced there is plural. What does that mean? It means Nathanael is coming, Jesus recognizes and addresses Nathanael, but now he's opening it up plural. The others who are around, I don't know, we don't know. It, it might have just been Andrew and John and Philip and Nathaniel. There are probably others around. It might have just been a few more, plural. Like it could have been more disciples, inquirers, coming around. You. He's broadening it out. You, people. You are going to see heaven opened. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now that Son of Man, John likes to use that. Jesus likes to use that about Himself. It's a Messianic title. comes from Daniel chapter 7. You can look that up at that this week. From Daniel chapter 7. It has Messianic implications. But when we see Son of God, Rabbi, Nathaniel, verse 49, Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the son of God. Nathanael is recognizing he's the unique one. There's no one else like this one. You are the son of God. We're all of us sons and daughters of God, all of us sons of God in a certain respect, but the son of God, the divine son of God, deity is being emphasized. You, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Kings in this culture other than a Roman king. Nathaniel is saying King of Israel. He's also saying king of his life because Nathaniel, if he's king of Israel, and he's announcing that, he's confirming that to the Lord. Nathaniel is meaning that he's the king of his life, too. But Jesus there uses that word, that, that, that phrase, son of man. And that doesn't merely point to the humanity of Jesus it too is a messianic title but Jesus doesn't want to get tangled up in the politics of the day he could go around and he could he could go with the the king of Israel but that is going to be there's going to be all kinds of debris that falls out of that title if he goes around at that point in time Announcing he's the king of Israel, what we have, even the Pharisees, even the people in Jerusalem in the temple, there's there's no 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 no, there's only one king, there's only one 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 king. The Romans are going to come through, they're going to wipe us out. If we we cannot have that, so he he comes the son of man. It's messianic too, but it doesn't carry the freight. It doesn't the negative freight. He can get his message. He can speak of himself being the son of man without everyone all of a sudden whoo, reacting back, oh, he's confronting Caesar. And, and, and the whole thing is just shut down before it's before he gets to the, the cross. So that's a strategic use, but these angels are descending and ascending on the son of man. Well, what's he saying? Very odd. It, 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 again, the consensus is it looks very clearly like he's referring to Genesis 28. Jacob, remember the story of Jacob, the, 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 the ladder. Now, Nathaniel has been studying the scriptures. Jesus said, uh, uh, before uh, Philip called you, Jesus says, you were under the fig tree and I saw you. Now, he could have literally been under a fig tree and all the shade that comes from a fig tree could have been there, uh, may very well likely have been. But that also, in the culture there, in the religious context, to be under the, under the fig tree was to be meditating on scripture and praying. There's a religious context to that phrase. So I saw you while you were under the fig tree. Well, he might've been under the fig tree, but certainly that, uh, he, this witness comes to him, Comes Philip comes to him and speaks to him. We have found whom Moses uh, in the law and also the prophets wrote. And so He's speaking that way to Nathanael because Nathanael's a very studious... He's looking into the, the Moses and the prophets, and so that's a way to connect with Nathanael. We found who this one is. And then Jesus says, Well, I saw you. And that really blows Nathanael's mind. How, you, how could you know that? I, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? There's a miracle here that's happening. Jesus is identifying what Nathanael was doing and Jesus wasn't there in the presence of Nathanael while he was doing it. You believe because of a miracle, well, you're going to see greater things than this. Just real quickly, let's, let's turn in our Scriptures to Genesis chapter 28 and see what... The reference is the picture that's being drawn here, Genesis chapter 28. Jacob has a a dream. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's ladder. Remember the old song? We're climbing Jacob's ladder. Relax, I won't sing it for you. And all of God's people said, Amen. Verse 10, Genesis 28, Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and he stayed there at night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. It's confirming the Abrahamic covenant here. And you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east. Went to the north and to the south and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. Now, I did not know it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the ladder. John will say it in different ways. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way. There will be a a way that John says it. Jesus is the ladder. Anyone wants any kind of access or communication with God, it's going to come on Jesus. It's going to come in Jesus. God's revelation to the earth is going to be on the ladder. It's going to be on Jesus. Jesus is the ladder. People will be going to heaven, ascending to heaven on Jesus. So Jesus tells Nathanael, you'll see heaven opened In Jesus Christ, heaven has opened for those who have received Him as Lord and Savior." Heaven's open. Now this is a different worldview. This is a different worldview than Genesis 11. If you're still in Genesis chapter 28, let's just turn, go to the left a few chapters to Genesis chapter 11. The world view that there is only one ladder. There is only one door. There is only one way. That way, that ladder, is Jesus Christ alone. No additions. That's a different world view, a, a different way of thinking than what we see in Genesis Chapter 11, verse four. Then they said, come, let us build houses. Excuse me, verse four. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, reaching for God. And let us make a name for ourselves on Twitter and Facebook and wherever else you'd like to make one. Make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Verse 8, So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. And they left off building the city. Natural human beings, in our unregenerated, fallen, sinful self, we want to take it upon ourselves to reach God under our own steam, under our own power, want to make a name for ourselves, we want, want to announce to the world that our philosophies, our traditions, our way of thinking is so superior we will reach the heavens. We have the power in us. If we could just break through we, as we strive, and as we evolve, into something greater, more perfect, and as that tower rises and rises and rises, we can be all that God promised and more. That is not the worldview from the Bible. In the Bible, the worldview is there's one way, there is one ladder, one way to heaven. There's one way to receive information about heaven, and that's Jesus. Jesus. It's not the New York Times best-selling list. It's not some guru sitting on a mountain in the Himalayas. It's Jesus Christ is the only way to receive true knowledge of the Most High God and to understand ourselves in this life. It's a completely different worldview. Two distinct worldviews. And I'll leave you with this good news. That God of heaven, that God of heaven looks on you, he looks to earth, looks on you personally, and he sees your potential. You want to rise to your own potential in your life? Oh, how sad you want to do that. Who are you? How's that been working out lately? Rising to your own potential. You can do that in yourself. Well, you may have accomplished a lot and, and we're happy for that. But just think where you could have been with Jesus at the center. Jesus may not have changed your name literally as he did Simon, but he still comes into your life and he says, I'm going to give you a new life. In fact, John calls it being born again, which means newness. Something new has taken place. encouraged. Jesus looks at you. Jesus says, come and see. Come and see who I am. Don't trust in yourselves. Don't trust in these towers of Babel that are all around you, babbling and babbling and babbling all around you. Don't trust in that. Trust in me. Trust in my word. The word was God. He sees your potential, where you and I could go, where we could be. And if a group of people grasp hold of that and see that where we could be, everyone's wanting to know how we're going to get out of this. Look at this situation. Look at this situation. Look at this situation over here. The world is terrible. How are my kids going to live in? What kind of world is it going to be? What kind of world is it going to be for my grandkids? It doesn't mean it It matter if you're on this side of the aisle, on this side of the aisle. Let's reach for something because we've got to get out of this situation wherever we are or wherever we have been. The only way, the only ladder out of it is Jesus Christ. It's the only way, according to the Apostle John, according to the Scriptures, the only way not to hurt you, not to defeat you, not to look down upon you, not to judge you, but so that you can reach all of your potential that God sees in you. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ, will be the greatest decision everyone makes in their life. It will be the greatest way to live with all of its hurts, all of its challenges, but all of its blessings and ultimate joy let's pray father thank you for seeing in us what we do not see in ourselves as individuals and as a people God thank you for being that ladder and thank you for giving us an example of of Simon and and how you changed his name and how how you can see something in us that that other than what we are what we see of, of ourselves as your people today go out into the world, whatever they might be doing, whatever they might be undertaking Lord, I pray you shower grace upon them, energize them, encourage them to be more bold in their faith personally and in our own hearts. Help us to have a growing and passionate hunger for the scriptures, God. And in that, a hunger and a passion for you, God. What are we seeking? Will God help us to seek you every day? I'm growing to be more like you, Jesus, for your honor and for your praise. Amen.